and welcome to a special edition of the Pig X Podcast. I'm your host, Delaney Howell, and we're going to be bringing you some special episodes here over the next couple of months with some fantastic guests that spoke at the 11th annual Iowa Swine Day held recently in Ames, which brought together industry stakeholders from across the state and beyond. Included in those attending and speaking at this event was geopolitical expert Peter Zion. Peter, thank you, first of all, so much for joining us today. I would love to just dig in a little bit more if you could share with our listeners about some of the work that you do and how your background led you to the world of agriculture. I do a little bit of everything. Uh, at my old job, I was the only generalist they had. So I was the only analyst that they could put in front of a client who wouldn't pick a fight. And as a result, I became not just a generalist in terms of various parts of the world, but in terms of the various economic sectors. Uh, my background is as a developmental economist. So it's all about figuring out what works, why. And if you try to try do the same thing at the next town over, it's usually an unmitigated failure. So agriculture is my single largest sector, but it is less than one-fifth of what I do. And there's been a significant expansion of late in interest in things like manufacturing and finance and industrial commodities that didn't exist two, three years ago, because we really are at the end of the globalized system now. And figuring out where the weak points are and what can be salvaged is kind of the order of the day. As you discussed at the Iowa Swine Day, and as we are all aware, Russia and Ukraine are obviously having very major impacts on our industry and the world as a whole. What do you see those impacts looking like from your perspective? For agriculture in general, and really focusing on swine specifically, there's two big takeaways from the Ukraine war. Uh, the first is that the Russians have realized they're not going to be invited in as saviors. And so they are deliberately targeting any civilian infrastructure that they can with an emphasis on agricultural infrastructure. And this means that Ukraine, either this year or next year, is going to go from the world's fourth or fifth largest exporter to an importer. And it will never return to the, the ranks of the countries that are producing grain in volume. This is the world's third or fourth, based on the year, largest exporter of corn. Uh, and as you all know, uh, corn and soy are the two things you need if you are going to make a hog farm work. You can't just forage for that. These are not beef cattle. Uh, second, Russia is the world's largest exporter of fertilizers and the world's largest exporter of the components that people use to make their own fertilizers. So we're already experiencing a global fertilizer shortage. Now, this would be bad for any agricultural anywhere, but if you look at the other major producer of the inputs that hog farmers the world overuse, corn and soy, you're looking at Brazil. And Brazil's soil sucks. It's not like the Midwest. It's not prairie soil. It's tropical. It has no nutrient profile at all. The Brazilians import roughly 80-90% of their fertilizer from the Russians. So we're looking at an end to Brazil's role as a major producer of soy and corn. Folks, that's it. That's global pork. There is no Chinese pork without Brazilian and stuff. There is no German or Spanish stuff without uh, Ukrainian inputs. So we're down. Of the top five producers of pork in the world, the United States is the only one where this is all domestic. Now, there are challenges between here and there. It's not like these countries are just going to stop producing on a dime, but it's going to be disturbingly fast. Uh, the only big negative that I think the sector is going to be facing over the midterm is the evisceration of China as a customer. That's just going to go to zero, and that's unavoidable. But if you can survive that, all of your competitors are going to 
That's certainly a lot to unpack. But to start off here, Peter, you mentioned that Ukraine will never be able to return to the level of production that they were at here before this invasion and conflict. What are some of the major factors contributing to their inability to get back to where they were before the war? The Russians are systematically targeting anything that allows modern life to happen with agriculture getting some extra shells. So one third of the population is already either a refugee or internally displaced. And if you look at the infrastructure that used to exist in the areas that are now occupied, it's just gone. Uh, also, uh, Odessa, which is the primary export point for everything, uh, is under blockade and will remain under blockade unless and until the Russians are defeated. And it is not clear to me that that is possible. Uh, this is not Iowa. Iowa has a rail and a river network to bring things out through a very secure port in New Orleans. Everything in Ukraine has to go by water to Odessa. And since Odessa is functionally closed down and because the Russians have already crossed the Dnieper, there's no traffic on that river. There's no way to get stuff out. The only way Ukraine returns is if Russia dies. And while that might happen in 20 years, that's not going to happen this year. And this is certainly a lot of heavy information and facts here, Peter. But I believe that there is a positive side to all of this, which is the U.S. is going to have the opportunity, as you said, to fill the demand gap that is being left in the world for pork specifically. But the bigger question is, how do we actually go about doing that? There are very few agricultural systems out there that in an equalized system can maintain the input flows that are necessary to produce. And that's true for wheat as it is for pork. And we're going to see a catastrophic shift in what we produce, when I say we humans, based on where you are and what you're able to access. North America is one of, actually, I'm thinking about it. North America is the only continent that has all the phosphate and the potash and the nitrogen that needs. Everyone else is dependent on an international trade system. Uh, so everyone else is going to be looking at significant drops in everything. Now, the American farmer is going to be looking out at this and they're going to feel really bad because we're probably going to be seeing a significant famine multi-continental in scope starting before the end of this year. And the economic dislocation would suggest to me that a lot less animal protein is going to be produced on top of that. On the whole, that sounds bad. And for the human condition, it is awful. But if you're an American producer and your input stream's okay and you're serving the largest market already and the most up-and-coming market is Mexico and it's right next door, we already have a free trade to deal with them. The question is, who do you sell to and at what price? And that is going to require a different way of thinking, that the co-op structure we have in American agriculture is wildly unprepared for what is coming. But at least there's a structure. So there will be a different mode of operation internationally. The, the need for regional producers to interact directly with customers on the other side of an ocean is going to be far, far more important. We're not used to thinking that way. And there are some heavy and successful markets that will be coming out of this. In addition to Mexico, which is definitely the top of my list, Southeast Asia, specifically the Vietnamese, you know, here you got already almost 140 million people. They're already eating more pork per person than the Chinese. And they are likely to be one of the big economic success stories over the course of the next 20, 30 years. Do you have a sales office in Hanoi? Because you're gonna need one. And the same thing for Indonesia and the same thing for Myanmar. Uh, and the same thing for Colombia. So there are huge success stories here, but if you try to feed the world, you will fail 
We do not have the productive capacity, and what's falling offline is absolutely massive. Now, this is this is the perfect mix of agronomic conditions for just outsized growth. And I see U.S. agriculture writ large as being the sector that grows most rapidly in the United States for the next 30 years. But for animal protein, you've got to balance that with where the success stories are going to be. Everybody needs wheat. Everybody needs soy. Not everybody needs pork. And that means you have to do your homework. My final question for you, Peter, is one that I know economists and analysts hate hearing, but I'm going to ask it anyway, which is the timeline. What is the timeline like on this devastation? Obviously, none of us can predict when the invasion or conflict will end. But what is the timeline look like for Ukraine to get back on its feet once this is all over? We're going to know this year how it's going to go. The Ukrainians are entirely dependent on weapons transfers from the West, and the weapons that we're capable of transferring to them are available in limited volume because they're not the weapons we make for ourselves. So when you think of javelins and stingers, we don't use those because we have tanks and we have an air force. So we don't need the guerrilla-style fighting stuff. We're going to run out this year. And so if the Ukrainians have not managed to break the back of the Russian army within a few months, uh, it will turn into a partisan conflict that will overwhelm the Ukrainians. And then it's a war of occupation, which is a different sort of conflict. In that sort of environment, it is impossible for me to see Russia maintaining its current levels of exports of oil, natural gas, food, and fertilizer. So we are looking at the former Soviet world largely removing itself from the map. And there is no way we don't have a catastrophic famine in multiple continents because of that. We'll probably see the leading edge of that in the fourth quarter of this year. We already know there's been significant crop switching in the United States. And we already know that a lot of farmers in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa have just not used fertilizer. We will have an idea of what impact that will have on yields roughly in September. That's when really we get the first big batch of good data. And then we'll go down from there. Well, Peter, we certainly appreciate your insight on this special episode of the PigX podcast. And thanks again for joining us. It's going to be a good decade for you guys, but it's going to be a bumpy road. And thank you listeners for tuning in with us once again for this special episode of the PigX podcast. But don't worry, we'll be bringing you more special episodes like this one in the following months. If you're interested in watching any of the sessions from the Iowa Swine Day event, head to ipic.iastate.edu backslash iowaswineday.html. Again, that's ipic.iastate.edu backslash iowaswineday.html. Next month, we'll be bringing you your regularly scheduled PigX podcast, where we dive into the topic of resiliency. Until then, I'm Delaney Howell, and this has been the PigX Podcast. PigX is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org, or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at iastate.edu. Pig X. Ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.